This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Welcome back, Disaster Divas. If you don't remember, that is what we call Disaster Girls fans. Where, because Jordan, where are we? What? Yeah, this? we are. We are on the dark side of the moon. We are in the in the tunnels of Mars. It has been a month since we last came together, divas, and uh, it is it is not the same world as it was uh, when we were talking about the core. And uh, so we've been on hiatus. We're back now. Uh, we're transitioning into into the new world order, and we're going to do it this week with the 1970 film Airport. So two things. One, I'm so glad that in this ensuing month, we got new Delroy Lindo content. Yes. Oh, the world awoke to Delroy Lindo. I didn't yeah. think it had to. My it did. God. The world needed to know. The world, My God. The world needed that video of him dancing. Um, but then two, I do want to apologize because I'm pretty sure we said last month that we were going to do Airport 1975. Um, and as it turns out, this is Airport 1970. Yes, this is Airport 1970. In the classic tradition of the of the um, like 70s era disaster movie, it is truly epic in its runtime and packed on <laughs> and packed with an ensemble of very famous actors that really. I think the the biggest thing that Airport 1970 gave me was wishing and wondering when was when are we going to have the resurgence of disaster academy award nominated disaster epics starring ensembles of very famous like adult contemporary actors we have that is a lost art where is where is our hurricane movie our airline movie our volcano movie starring Fucking Meryl Streep and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, like, and Viola Davis and Kate Blanchett and everyone who's ever won at least two Academy Awards. Where is that? Why? I mean, I think that I have to pitch this to Apple TV now because they'll throw down that kind of money. <laughs> yes. For, for something that only you and I are asking for. <laughs> well, thankfully, we know a person, and I'll text her after this about that. Yes. <laughs> Just text. This is what the world needs right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dickinson and this. Yeah. So Airport is, it's two movies, really. Airport is, the first half of its two hour and 17 minute runtime is truly just the goings on in an airport. It's the interpersonal lives of people, men, uh, in positions of authority at an airport in Chicago, I believe, it against the backdrop of like record snowfall that is totally screwing up flight operations. And we meet like our cast of characters again over the course of almost an entire legit movie, an hour. Um, and before we actually, the plane takes off, at which point it becomes the disaster movie airport, which it becomes an airplane movie, uh, where a suicidal man who is a failure of a husband, is tr taking out a large life insurance policy for himself with the plan to blow the fucking airplane up, so killing everyone on board so his wife can get the uh, insurance settlement, and that becomes the disaster du jour. Yeah, it is. The first part of the movie is not so much a disaster movie as it is a bureaucracy movie. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. That it is, is like, it's, that, it's, it, as, it's as some of the best disaster movies do become, bureaucracy movies. It is 75% it is bureaucracy, and that is, and it is 25% a mild disaster. <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta say, before we, before we even get into, like, one, this is the description that I went into it thinking. Um, in this disaster movie, in this disaster film, a nutcase detonates a bomb aboard a plane, 
Okay, that happens eventually. <laughs> Event- eventually, correct, yes. Yes, at some point, leaving the flight and ground crews to figure out how to safely land their dangerously crippled vessel during a terrible blizzard. The bulk of the story centers on the ways in which people deal with the situation. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is true. That is true for an act of this film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the rest of this movie, no. And so I got to ask, Disaster Divas, because we have many requests for this. This has been a heavily requested movie among That's among our fascinating. Right? I have had people met separately on my Twitter. I we've had messages about it about when are you guys going to do airport? I got to ask guys, <laughs> was there another airport? <laughs> was there a more suspenseful South Korean film called Airport that we should have watched instead? Are you actually just talking about when are you going to go to the airport and just podcast from that because yeah. that would have been <laughs> Jordan and I standing in line waiting to get through TSA yes. would have been more suspenseful than most of this movie, which is really a movie that's about like the real disaster is a loveless marriage. I will, I will read an excerpt from Paul, the Pauline Kale. Uh, yes. from, this is aggregated in her book, 5,001 nights at the movies. Uh, which I have just looked up, and there is a section for her airport 1970 review, and it says uh, <clears throat> Ross Hunt, uh, the producer Ross Hunter, who assembled a cast and crew with 23 Oscars among them. The baldness of this might lull you into imagining that the result would be slick fun, but there's no electricity in it, no smart talk, and no flair. Written and directed by George Seaton, it's bland entertainment of the old school. Every stereotyped action is followed by a stereotyped reaction, cliches, commenting on cliches. I love Pauline Kale so much. <laughs> I do Wait, because there's... Pauline Kale has been brought up, I do have to say, in the wonderful documentary about Roger Ebert that came out, a number of years ago, there is a section where, because there's obviously the rivalry between Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael sort of in schools of criticism, and there's a friend of Roger's who is quoted in the documentary saying, he goes, I don't know Pauline Kael. I've never met Pauline Kael. Fuck Pauline Kael. <laughs> wow. And it's truly, that's one of my favorite movie lines of all time. I don't know Pauline Kael. I've never met Pauline Kael. Fuck Pauline Kael. But for today, I think she, like, she feels, it feels like Pauline is is very sort of, like, rankled in how uninteresting she found airport. I wasn't rankled, but I did find it to be wildly uninteresting. So wildly uninteresting. Yeah. I just kept waiting. I was sitting there, and I just kept being like, and then the movie starts. And I was like, no, no, no. We're just going to get more information about how this plane, like, so there's a demi-disaster because it's in Chicago. They don't have enough. They're having a blizzard. They don't have enough equipment to clear the runways. And as a result, a plane lands on a runway and can't get out of the snow. And I believe it is their longest runway. So like a yeah. big ass plane like this, I believe 707 would yeah. need land in, in, in inclement weather, a long runway. Right. And so instead of it being like a point of real tension about will they get the runway cleared or not, it just like yeah. disappears for long periods of time and then comes back. Um, and it's, and then it becomes about the bureaucracy of homeowners who are angry about yep. flight paths. Yep. There are the there are subplot. protesting NIMBYs in this movie. Yeah. Very, very low energy protesters. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, like in terms of you know, when we talk about the reality index of it, I fully believe that pro that there would be protests at an airport about the the runway going over a house. Yeah. I did not believe that they would be like sounding as if they were members of the national. Yes. Uh, just tired. <laughs> I mean, it was record droning. snowfall. Maybe that was the only people who were left after a vibrant protest of hundreds. Yeah. Earlier that day before the storm hit. Well, we are just seeing that one dad slam his dinner down and then run out the door to go protest. And meanwhile, yeah. someone's <laughs> yeah. like, we have to calm these people down. Like they're, this is not exactly the the loud, boisterous protests that I saw during the, you know, the Muslim ban here. Like, this yeah, is... Yeah, we've seen airport protests. Yeah. We've seen what they can be. Yeah, this, um, is, this is the hired protesters that you get, like, when they have the shame on you banners outside of, like, a hotel. Actors. These are crisis actors. <laughs> I, uh, another, a, a thing that got me on the believability on the Reality Index, too, is there's a whole exchange between the airport manager 
and um, somebody else. I think it, I think it's uh, Dean Martin's character, the pilot, being yeah. positively Dean Martin. And they're talking about, like, they're having this snow crisis. They don't have the equipment to get the snow off the runway. It's screwing everything up. The pilot's giving him shit for not being prepared. The airport manager is being like, we are prepared, but you don't buy, like, X million dollar equipment for a problem that's only going to come along once every X number of years. And then Dean Martin's character is like, well, they have that in Alaska. And he's like, well, this isn't Alaska. But it is fucking Chicago, isn't it? Like, this is a, like, lake effect snow is real. Heavy snowfall on its own is real. This actually is one of the cities, one of the major American hubs where an airport exists that I think would be prepared for record snowfall. I thought that was like unrealistic thing to hear. I deeply agree. Like, they should have been prepared for it. And also, I'm sorry, like, I feel like- Portland, he- Oregon not being prepared, okay, but Chicago, no. Yeah. And also, couldn't he, like, call up the mayor and be like, hey, we need a couple more of your snow plows, things that exist since there's other methods of infrastructure. Like, yeah, he could have called up other people. Like, there, there's not a shortage of snow plows in the Chicago metro area. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I, I genuinely feel that maybe he is bad at his job. Um, I I will say a believable thing that we didn't get to see that was that was tossed off in a line of dialogue that I wish we had because I would have totally believed it. George Kennedy is in this movie and he is one of the biggest men that has ever lived. (laughs) And that is a strapping man, George Kennedy. And he's like the sort of chief problem solver. He's like, he sounds like, I think he sounds like like the head of basically maintenance for these airplanes. And like, as he, as he tells one pilot, you know, I take these apart and I put them back together again for a living. Like the, the airport manager calls George Kennedy because this plane is stuck. He's like, I know you're like, you know, you're having a vacation or something right now. Like, you know, I need you to come to work. We have a crisis. You're the only one who can solve it. I need you. I need you. And his wife doesn't want to let him go because they finally got a weekend away from their five kids. And she gets off. He gets off the phone. He's like, fine, I'm coming after like a protracted argument. And she's like, you're going to be back late, aren't you? And he responds. He's he says something. He's he doesn't say whether or not I'll go back late, but he says, like, I will, like, get that plane off the runway if I have to pull it with my own bare hands. And I was like, yes, I would like to see George Kennedy pull a 707 from being buried in this having its landing gear buried in the snow with his bare hands. Would believe it. Want to see it. Didn't get it. Am disappointed. Uh, yeah. No, he should have. He should have just fully taken to and taken to <laughs> ropes and just pulled it by the nose. Yep. With a clo- with close ups. I was very concerned <laughs> because he's the only man who clearly loved his wife. Yeah, oh, like, this, keep in mind. That once we get to what call, this movie's about, ab- yeah. yes, yes. He gets that call and, and, and he's the, and the dude's like, Joe, I need you to come in. And Joe is fully making out with his wife on does the sofa. Not stop. Does not stop yeah. making out with his wife. Does not stop. And it's just like, I really don't want to, we don't have our kids home. Like we're going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> and he has to come in anyway, and I was like, you know what? This is this is the problem here. I fully believe that George Kennedy loves his wife, and I fully believe that um, what's his name does not care. Yes, because yeah. as we learn uh, about about the airport manager, uh, who is Burt Lancaster, who yeah. plays Mel Bakersfield, he uh, he's his marriage is falling apart because his wife does seem to suck, but possibly for the reasons of, as he admits, hasn't been in love with her for years and avoids coming home, yeah. uh, is having an affair with his assistant. His, I don't but know. He's not textually having an affair. She's very clearly made her interest known and he is having an emotional affair with her. Okay. But that's at the end of the movie. I wasn't when sure he's if like, they had been banging and it was just like, you know, I can't promise you more. No, oh, no, no. Right, that's, you're right. Um, you're that's, right. So, okay. So that is uh, Dean Martin has yes. been banging the stewardess. Yes, the head flight uh, attendant played by Jacqueline Bisset. Yes. He, poor Gwen. Um, poor justice Gwen. for Gwen. Gwen deserves so much better than Dean Martin. Justice, yes. She deserves better than like a very leathery shoe of a man. Yeah, a very um, leathery Dean Martin who openly c- cheats on his wife to the point where she, his wife has a conversation with Burt Lancaster's character at one point. Her brother. About, yeah, her yeah, her brother about how oh, 
you like he'll always come home when he gets too serious with the other girls and he just waves his wedding band in front of them. And it's like, this is good. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. Happy at home in 1970, ladies and gentlemen. Heterosexuality is a curse. Um, <laughs> she says as a deeply heterosexual woman. Um, yeah, no, he, so at the end, Burt Lancaster is like, let's get some scrambled eggs. And she's like, where do you want to go? And he's like, your apartment, you're always talking about them. And I was like, oh, this is him finally agreeing to consummate with yeah, her. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, but she has otherwise been very, like, upstanding, um, like, not doing that despite yeah. making eyes at him constantly and like being his work wife yeah 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 um but yeah it's the the two main heroes in this film joe joe and uh mr bakersfield uh-huh both are like trapped in loveless explicitly loveless marriages yes and their salvation will come from pretty like from pretty women who aren't the evil brunettes that they're married to. Yes, yes. Big, big anti-brunette energy happening in this film. Yeah, pretty young women. Um, the, the names, a couple of the names in this movie, I just feel like are real standout. We have Dean Martin is Vernon Demarest. Yeah. Uh, George Kennedy is referred to as Patroni. Uh, and then uh, old lady... Old lady uh, Helen Hayes playing the frequent scammer Ada Quinsett, who definitely is having the most fun in airport because early on she is basically sort of apprehended by airport security when it's discovered she's stowed away from a flight from Los Angeles and explains to uh, Burt Lancaster and his lovelorn assistant that she is a frequent stowaway and has many means of manipulating her way onto flights. And she does this kind of all the time, shamelessly so. And for her efforts, she won an Academy Award. Yeah. Yeah. Best Supporting Actress in this film. A film that was nominated for, let me make sure and count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Oscar nominations for this movie, including Best Adapted Screenplay, which was maligned by Pauline Kael, and Best Picture. It's, so, it is wow. truly a stunning, confusing thing, but I think... so. Have, I just watched Best Little Whorehouse in Texas like a few oh, weeks yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. And what I have decided is that <laughs> for Best Supporting Actor, sometimes it's not so much Best Supporting Actor in a quality movie, but Best Supporting Actor who makes the most of what they're dealt. Sure. Um, because, like, when you watch Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, it is not, a, like, I was, like, expecting it to be a rollicking good time. And I'm like, this is a deeply not great movie like despite <laughs> I, dolly parton being delightful and i, I love do her, love best little whorehouse in texas there's so many parts where i'm like this is gonna be great and i'm like eh, you guys didn't try like it's it's a, it's a real <laughs> there's except for the except for the scene the uh the scene in the locker room where all the guys are singing about how they're gonna get laid and it's right. like weirdly homoerotic yeah yeah like it's intensely homoerotic and that scene is kind of fun and of course dolly's song is great but like for most of the movie you're you're it's not what I thought it was going to be. And it's not so, a musical, truly. It doesn't have a lot of musical interludes. Uh-huh. But then you get Charles Dunning, Durning come in as the governor yeah. and sing this like barn burner of a song. Could have really used Charles Durning in this movie, oh, honestly. Oh, you could have Charles loved Durning in Charles. Yeah. Yeah, you could use Charles Durning in any movie. Everywhere. But when he, when he comes into that and has like, a, he got an Academy Award for like literally one song. <laughs> Anne Hathaway he, knows that game. Yeah, he came on screen he sang a song that was like not even a great song, but he just he does this like these weird little shimmies and he just goes all out and he's having fun in a movie that no one else is having fun in. And he got an Academy Award for that. And I think Helen Hayes, likewise, comes into this movie and has the best time when no one else is having fun. And the Academy was like, you deserve an Oscar because you made lemonade out of this fucking lemon. <laughs> um there? Because yeah, she she comes on. She just is so delightful from yeah. the minute she enters. You all I wanted was an entire movie, yeah, just like an Ocean's Eight of Helen Hayes, yes. and her band of little old ladies, yes, who like a whole network. Way. Yeah, there's like a jewel thief. There's an art thief. Like <laughs> I wanted, 
there's someone who like specializes in um in in what's it called um counterfeit like oh, sure, I wanted yeah. all of it because she was delightful um but also simultaneously so much of that movie is taken up by this little old lady that yes has nothing to do with so much of the rest of the movie <laughs> right but she is she is at one point like you know all of the setup for yeah. for Ada is so she can be looped into because a very savvy veteran customs agent uh, who we are introduced to at a certain point who is at, is just rinsing a woman coming back from Europe uh, who's yeah. trying to avoid the duty taxes on I the I would assume an associate of Helen Hayes because she was smuggling. She was absolutely smuggling. Um, little this, old lady smuggling. Yeah, little old lady smugglers. He he eyeballed her. So that is how we are introduced to this customs agent who is really a bloodhound for like, those who would seek to do wrong. So he's standing near the gate when um, Dio Guerrero, who is the bomber, uh, is entering, is boarding the plane, and he sees how suspicious he looks. So he's the one who alerts airport management to, like, that they might have a suspicious actor on the plane. So people on the plane become aware of it, and Ada is looped into the scheme to try and get the bomb off of Dio when it is determined that he has explosive contraband with him so that's but she doesn't actually get it and or like her plot fails so in the end she was really just amusement for us to have yeah. watched an old lady scammer the entire time yeah and also like she could have just as easily we we didn't need we could have seen her sneak her way on without yeah. her being caught and going into a 10 minute scene in which she explains all the ways that he that she sneaks her way onto airplanes and then like outsmarting the other guy and yeah. sneaking her way onto this plane and like <clears throat> there's a lot of there's a lot of extra stuff happening with her that we yeah. maybe didn't need but I would rather have had that than the entire subplot of Dean Martin and Gwen the stewardess who is debating over whether or not to keep her baby yes who is Wait. who is pregnant because yeah. uh, the birth control was prompting her to gain weight. So Believable, she, by the way. Yes, yes. Oh, so yeah, that 19, definitely. Like, it's 1970. Stewardesses are still, like, that is it. Like, just, yeah. to sub, just to subtweet the patriarchy for a yeah. second. It's 1970. Stewardesses were getting weight at the time. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's um, a show, it is a showpiece kind of job. Yeah, it is. And so, yes, I fully believe that her choice came down to, do I take birth control, which yep. is an early version. It's 1970. It's an early version. It's making me gain weight. Or do I and risk losing my job? Or do I go off of the pill mm -hmm. and hope for the best? And I also fully believe that, you know, Dean Martin, the, the world's slickest cowhide, yeah. <laughs> uh, would refuse to wear a condom. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he's very, uh, he's very understanding upon being told of her pregnancy. But of course, like, you know, I'll help you take care of it. And yeah. she, she's, you know, she's realized she's feeling a bit more sentimental about a pregnancy uh, than she thought she would. She's known other girls in her position and mm -hmm. thought she would approach uh, her the her her situation in the same way. It's very modern, as she said, a very modern way of um, you know just a bun in the oven and and she's going to she's going to have an abortion. But she doesn't want to just get rid of this thing that is something that they made together. So she loves him. She, she loves him, and she's pretty sure he loves her a little bit too. You know, probably. Yeah insofar as he loves any of the stewardesses over time that he's been having many affairs with. Um, she surely hasn't been tested for any STDs that he's liable to be carrying. Um, but yeah, so that we, we have such a, it's, it, you know, half the movie is disaster, but it's, it only gets so disastery as the bomb is, they attempt to lift it from Guerrero, but indeed, uh, you know, through he ends up um, going. He ends up like trying to almost is almost persuaded to give the bomb up to to Demarest, to Dean Martin's character, but then it gets like word gets out that like he has a bomb. Somebody yells bomb, so Guerrero runs into the bathroom and he detonates it. He's been told at this point that his life insurance policy has been made void because they know of his plan. So it's all for naught. So he just goes and kills himself in the bathroom, leaving his poor burdened wife Inez played by Maureen Stapleton to both live poor because he was never capable of holding down a job and also grieve the death of her no count husband so he blows up the bomb and it blasts a a hole in the fuselage and Gwen is Gwen is knocked about a bit but 
other than that, it's like this isn't, you know, and I understand that movies were not as sort of full tilt assault, uh, like a violent assault at the time as they are now. But like even in Towering Inferno, we get the terrible death of the older woman tumbling out of the glass lift and falling to her death in in Poseidon Adventure. We get Shelly Winters, you know, after her heroic swim through the hull of the boat, you know, she 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 dies our dear beloved um our dear beloved Shelley Winters Bell Rosen but then in this it's it, yeah it's a no it's body a, count nobody it's it's more it's more of a dramatic inconvenience so here's the so one i want to point out that the reason that one um he gets the bomb suitcase back yes. and then he locks himself in the bathroom is because of the same douchebag yes. so there's there is, everyone is like incensed because Gwen has been manhandling Ada, the old lady, Helen Hayes. Uh-huh. Everyone's incensed because she, like to get her up to the front of the cockpit, she kind of like manhandled her and was like, we know that you're scamming us and then dragged her up and then kind of dragged her back yeah. to really sell it. Um, at one point she slapped mm. Helen Hayes very dramatically. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, slapped an old lady. She slapped an old lady because she felt the old lady was hysterical. <laughs> um, because Helen Hayes was like, she was just like, oh, I'm part of this plot now, and I'm going to get free first class tickets from here on out. Yeah, I yeah. am in. I will yeah. sell this, screaming, crying. Yeah. So anyway, because this woman is an actress, if nothing else, Helen yeah. Hayes and Ada Quinsett, both awards worthy actresses. I, I, Ada Quinsett sold every moment. Um, <laughs> yes. But yeah. So anyway, so she slapped, and then like something happens, and basically because at that moment. Gwen and Vernon are able to, or Vern are able to grab the suitcase the, yes. the, or the, the briefcase to take it away from the bomber. And this douchebag in a light yellow uh, button down shirt and a tie and glasses is like, that's, that's his property. Me. And starts like scrambling and gets in the way and allows this dude to retake uh-huh. his briefcase. Now keep in mind, he's interfering with a stewardess and a pilot, a pilot to do this. Like, and he thinks that he knows more than they do. He is, this is this, a Twitter reply guy. A mask. Yes, he would. And this he, guy would be out there being like, yeah. no, no masks. Because, no masks that, because that's, carbon that's, dioxide is because bad for freedom. your brain. Because freedom. Oh, he would, no, he would be using like, oh, you know, the carbon dioxide reuptake of wearing a mask means that it decreases your brain cells. And it's like, dude, <laughs> just let the, pilot do his job which in this case involves stealing a briefcase from a sweaty man so anyway so after that happens and then he runs to the back of the plane and he's like clutching the briefcase uh, the bomber clutching the briefcase and like Dean Martin is giving this impassioned speech where he finally explains the plot because at that point I was like I still don't know why he thinks he's going to get money from bombing this plane I don't know where he got the bomb I don't understand anything that's happening here (laughs) and then Dean Martin is like hold on everyone calm down I'm going to exposit (laughs) <laughs> and everyone in the plane is like watching and staring and like this guy is finally calming down and he's finally like starting to seem like he might, you know, give his briefcase over. Yeah. And then a dude walks out of the bathroom behind him, which, oh, I feel bad for that guy. That's confusing. <laughs> also, what kind of an epic time in the bathroom is he having? Um, <laughs> and he walks out and that same douchebag yep. pops up. And yelled, he's got a bomb. Oh, my God. Allowed right? for just enough chaos. Like, thanks, dude. Thanks. Because we, the pilot didn't have it under control a second time. Yeah. Your, your level-headed coolness is clearly what's going to save the day here, you douchebag. Well, and like, um, and like you said, he is, he's a snitch tagger. This guy's oh, yeah. a fucking snitch tagger. Oh, yes. He is, he is just there to stir up the shit. Yeah. Oh, no. He just thinks it's important that everyone sees. Like, no, <laughs> Elon Musk does not need to know what I'm thinking. Thank you. Yeah. Un- unstated baseball player's mother doesn't need to know yeah. that I think it is a bad idea for her to be constantly going out to bars and going to the gym in Arizona where the ICUs are filling up. She didn't need to hear that. Yeah, it is this unnecessary. Guy want her to know. This guy would want her to know. This passenger. Yeah, he would want her to know. So anyway, so I do want to point out that all of that is because of, this is really all about the failings of like one little Weasley white man. Um, <laughs> like that's really what this movie hinges on. Um, 
but yeah, like we got this whole exposition scene from, um, per, was it Peroni? Yeah, yeah. From Peroni about like what will happen if there's a hole in the plane and like somebody getting sucked out like hamburger meat yeah. and everything. And then there's a hole in the plane and it's like the most low stakes. It's so like, low windy. stakes. Yeah, it, yeah. It gets cold and windy. Yeah, there's it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, nobody's seat is going to get, like, rattled out of the floor and sucked out, as we've seen in so many suspenseful movies before. And, yeah. like, like, and like again, I, I we know that these movies have a more genteel sensibility than than movies that would happen now. But, but disaster movies in this same era. Right. Like, that's the thing is, I kept going back to East of Java was more harrowing than this. And I want you to know I remembered the name of that movie because of what you said about the Ninja Turtles theme. Crack I was like, East of yep. Java. Yep. 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 That I was like, what's the name of that movie? That's the one that Amanda sang with the Ninja Turtles theme. Krakatoa East of Java has like a dramatic scene where a wave sweeps up like half yeah. the people that matter at the end of this movie. And then in this one, like I, we couldn't lose one. Like I didn't want it to yeah. be Gwen certainly, but like, we couldn't lose one per I was almost sure that she was going to die at some point because then it would have solved Dean's little problem. Yeah. I was certain. I was like, Oh shit, she's pregnant. She's definitely going to be the one that gets sucked out of the plane because yeah. that way he doesn't have to worry about the baby out of wedlock that he's going to have to financially support. That's I, I thought so too. I definitely thought Gwen was toast because it was like that way she doesn't, they don't have to have Dean Martin like, in favor of getting an abortion. Yes, yes. Um, exactly. And I, yeah, I mean, like, of this era, we've got Poseidon Adventure, like you said, in 72. And then yeah. Towering Inferno 74. And it's not even like we're asking for big effects here. Yeah. It's just there was no, no one was hit with collateral blast. I was waiting, like, I was hoping that that little smarmy kid who looked like Rick Moranis was going to die. <laughs> because, like, Crack why else do we... Trauma, by the way, 1968. Yeah, there was just there, there's no because that was the thing was I was watching it. Um, I was watching it with with the guy I'd been seeing, and we were he was like maybe you know things were slower than, and I was like no, it can't. It's not even that things were slower or that like it's not that it's not that it's not that. It, this is this is just a failure. This is genuinely someone who thought that the inner workings and inner personal lives of these two men yeah. was more compelling than any on screen disaster could be. Um, East of Java, which I am on the record as not enjoying, was more compelling than this movie. Yeah. There were at least disasters. Yeah. Even like there was that whole, like the sequence was not particularly harrowing in the end, but like when the questionable father son ballooning uh, pair, yeah. like flying into a volcano, that is a <laughs> yeah. thing that happens. Yes. Here in this movie at that same point, like what you're basically getting is that you've got like Helen Hayes pretending that she needs to go to the bathroom and instead scamming her way onto an airplane. Yeah. And also like, <clears throat> Pirelli is sitting in traffic. Oh, like, Petroni. Petroni is sitting. People being stuck in traffic <laughs> yeah. is an actual plot point of this film. <laughs> that the is plane scary. is delayed. Yeah. Which, like, reality index. I can't imagine a world in which an airplane would be held because they're like, there's a lot of traffic on the highway. <laughs> the plane so that people can get on this airplane. I was like, God, air travel was so different in 1970. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine a flight being held for any reason, let alone because of like the convenience, like because it's the right thing to do because of outside, outside problems? Well, and also the idea too that like it seemed very, I mean, just and I couldn't speak to the reality of it because I wasn't alive in 1970, but like just the difference between our world and that one, where like the idea of this plane taking off on fucking time instead of just ever and people being safe was such a big deal for Mel Bakersfield, Burt Lancaster yeah. character. When it's like this film, this move, this, this plane, which like this record snowfall, as they say, biggest storm in six years, there's a goddamn plane stuck on a runway. And this might, this way got pushed an hour. Yeah. An hour. The amount of like, the amount of hemming and hawing around whether or not a plane was going to take off. I have been stuck in the O'Hare airport for 40 hours before. Yeah. I was because that's because, that's because Chicago is trash. Yes, it is. It was <laughs> I, like the O'Hare airport stuck in there for three days. I oh my gosh. hate 
going through security. So like I could have stayed, I could have gone and checked in and out of a hotel each night. But if I was trying to be on standby for every flight that was taking off first thing in the morning, that would have meant getting up at like four fucking AM and then going to security again the next day. So I just stayed in the airport for all that time. And all of my clothes were in the checked bag that had already left. So it was just me and my computer and my technology in one outfit. Oh, oh I, I would have bought so much airport clothing. I would have been like wearing, <laughs> I would have been wearing so much like Chicago Bears novelty <laughs> gear at that point. Because I'd just be like, fuck it, this is my home now. I would, I would, have, gone full, I would have gone full Tom Hanks in the terminal. I was buying DVDs to watch on my computer because I oh didn't have, God. there was no Wi-Fi. Right. So, but yeah, the point is this plane was pushed by an hour and it was a really big goddamn deal. And I was just like, wow, this like there is a there is a record snowfall and you don't have the equipment to address this problem. But God damn it. This flight to Rome has yeah. to, to probably last flight of the night. It's like 10 p.m. Has it was to definitely the last as close to on time as possible. Nah, man, scrap that shit. People are staying at hotels that night. It's 1970. You probably would have put them all up in five-star accommodations near the airport, paid for all their meals, because that's kind of seems like what air travel was at the time. And that's why Ada Quinsett does not pay for her flights, because as she said, oh, no, I can't afford to to pay for a ticket. We stan Ada Quinsett. I mean, oh, yeah. She just she she's 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 for the collapse of the system as well. Yeah, you know I'm you know I'm all about the socialized citrus. Uh, I live in a neighborhood that has a lot yep. of citrus trees, and I firmly believe that the citrus trees uh, should be redistributed to people who need citrus. Um, and I support my comrade in arms, Helen Hayes, who believes that <laughs> airplanes airplane flights should be redistributed to little old ladies who can scam their way on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I loved, by the way, I don't know if this is accurate to the time, but I want to believe it was that the flight had a name. It was the Golden Argosy. That's what What was it? The Golden Argosy, which is like a weird combination of the Argosy myth combined oh, with the Golden yeah. Fleece that the, the Golden Fleece that the Argonauts were seeking. Yes. And I was like, yes, I love I love this like dramatic cruise liner kind of name that this flight has. Yeah, I mean, um, maybe maybe perhaps structurally the most enjoyable thing about airport is its glimpse into yeah. 1970 air travel and what an experience that was. Oh yeah, TGA's flagship international service named the Golden Argosy. I loved it. I, I loved and that. Inside the plane was gold. Like yeah. inside the plane, the seats like were made to look like gold. God, it was a class. It was a classy airline, and and you know it's um and and then they had like their economy class was called tourist. Uh-huh. There was like a first yeah. class and then there was tourist class, which I was like, thank you. That's very Thank you nice. for recognizing that it's not necessarily like economy, it's tourist. <laughs> yeah. we, should bring, we should bring that back. Um, because although I did in something that was very in keeping even with today, reality index wise. So, okay. Back half of the plane, there's been an explosion in the bathroom. Yes. And um, Gwen is like splayed out on the floor and doctors are taking care of her. They don't move her anywhere, but they do notice that there's like a crack forming in the fuselage above them. And no one is particularly concerned, uh-huh. but they are like, we should move everybody up. So let's double everyone up, put four in a row uh-huh. so that everyone can be safe and can fit. So they move everybody up, have four in a row, but then they do occasionally cut to show the entirety of the plane. So you can see first class as well as, as a tourist class mm-hmm. and they still have not doubled up anybody in first class. Yeah. <laughs> Helen Excellent Hayes point. is that is four yep. in a row with like a priest and two nuns. And she's like <laughs> sharing a bottle of brandy with a nun, which again, an entire spinoff I would watch. Yes. Um, and she's like huddled under a blanket with three other people. And everyone, there's like a grown ass man up in first who's clutching a pillow and doesn't have anybody else in his row. And I'm like, yeah. that's, that tracks. I feel yeah, oh, yeah, that, that's absolutely this, what would happen. Yeah, that's even in this in that day and age, in the golden age of air travel on the yep. golden Argosy. No, <laughs> no, they still would be like, well, let's double up everyone in, in coach. But no, 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 we can't. These are first class customers. Yeah, we can't ask this. We can't ask this of them. Yeah. What are we're not animals yet. Right. We've not been pushed to break the social contract yet. Um, but I yeah, believe the, that. the explosive decompression is hardly warranting of its name. Yeah. Like, it, it happens, 
but no, like, like people's hair might be a bit must, but like the pilots, like, you know, they get control back of the plane at a certain point when they find out the intentions of Guerrero, they have turned the plane back around without telling the passengers. So they're heading back to the Chicago airport, which is where Patroni has unfortunately not with his own hands, but has uh, dismissed the incompetent pilot who couldn't get the plane dug out the first time and has got it off the runway in time for Demarest's, Demarest to land his damaged aircraft. And, you know, they make it. They they, they do, do it. it. No one, with, with, a, with a real lack of fanfare, there is no like, you know, I kept thinking of airplane. And I was thinking of like, yeah, the airplane, sweating, the flop sweating. It's such a more success. Thank you. It is a more suspenseful movie. At one point, I yelled that at the screen. Yes. Like, when the when the pilot is is like sweating profusely in that oh, yeah. sequence as he's trying to. We didn't even get. There was not a a, a bead of sweat on Dean Martin's face. No, and I feel no. like that was probably that had to been like contractually obliged. Yeah, there was no. There was never a moment that I was like, they might not make this work. Yeah. No. The air airplane understands. Like, and that's, you know, that's the point of good satire and good parody is that it deeply understands that which it is, it is, it is skewering. But like, even the source material from which Airplane drew, it is, it makes it more remarkable that Airplane is as good and as funny and as time tested as it is. Because what it's drawing from is actually so dull by comparison. I am yeah. more impressed to know that Airplane extracted the exact right fundamental elements to hyperbolize when at Airplane 1970, at least, maybe they get better as they go, Airplane 1970, at least, never rose to the level of hyperbole that would almost even warrant satire. Yeah. Like, I mean, I would have expected a parody to come out of Poseidon Adventure yes. over Airport. Like, I, which, by the way, Airport's like the top 50 top 50th grossing movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. This movie made a lot of money. It was, it earned, it was produced on a $10 million budget. It earned over $100 million in 1970. And the only thing I can imagine is because only about 50% of adults had flown in America at that point was that people just kept going to see it because to them, like this would be <laughs> like, this was the closest they were going to get to actually seeing what being on an airplane was like. So they just were like, we'll go see this movie. That's the only explanation I can think of is that this was their equivalent of going on a flight simulator. It says it was, uh, again, this is just Wikipedia, so I have not confirmed this information, but it says the film was a commercial success and surpassed Spartacus as Universal Pictures' biggest moneymaker. Man, people were fucking starved for entertainment in 1970. Apparently. I mean, I, Jaws, I Jaws was five years out. People, I mean... This is what we have before, like Jaws essentially invented the modern blockbuster. And this this is what we had to settle for in terms of blockbuster, action suspense blockbuster that wasn't something like Spartacus, a big period picture before then. Wow. Thank God you showed up, Spielberg, because the people needed you. Again, 1972, you've got Poseidon Adventure. There is no excuse. <laughs> there is no excuse for how boring this movie is. Except, like, again, the writer genuinely thought that the compelling part of this movie was going to be the personal dramas of two boring men. And yeah. that, like, the extra suspense was just, like, that the, the briefcase bomb was, like, the little sprinkling on top to get the plebs in. <laughs> I don't know. I, so that, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I really feel like we've covered it. I, I think we have. I, you know. Deeply, Yeah. Like it, it, I feel like we can move into because that's I feel like the important thing here is the what is this movie really about? Yeah. Oh yeah. Would Would you like to start that off? Jordan, I want you to start this one. Uh, this movie, this movie is about. I mean, it. it this movie revolves around terrible marriages mm -hmm. and men who are like degrees of degrees of shitty from like benign to obvious. It is about the. It is about the scientifically bored out, soul-sucking reality of heterosexual monogamous marriages and how they are the least beneficial to the women involved and the like the person who benefits most from like long-term monogamous relations is a straight man and the person who benefits least is a straight woman. Yeah. And that is exactly inverse 
relationship to that is exactly an inverse equation to one another. Why is it the most beneficial to straight men? Because it's the least beneficial to straight women and they are absorbing their life force from them. <laughs> that that is like we open like we are given, you know, Dean Dean Martin's character is meant to be like you know, you're meant to you're meant to care about him and how he empathizes with Gwen for not being a shitty person when she said she's pregnant. So like he's a bit of a cad, but at the same time, you're like, oh, but look how good he's being to her, doing the absolute least he can. And then you're meant to feel bad for Burt Lancaster's character because his harpy wife wants him to come to all these events and, you know, be a husband and be present for his family. And he Maybe he's having sex with this woman. Maybe he isn't. But has at least been carrying on an emotional affair with his, like, the head of personnel. Like, it seems like his assistant at this airport. And we're supposed to feel like he's a good man because he hasn't taken it as far as he could. And, like, accept that, like, he's doing the best he can considering he's got this bitch wife at home. And because he takes some semblance of accountability for that by admitting she's right. I don't, I try, I invent reasons not to come home. That's supposed to be like enough to make him the hero of this. Horrifying, horrifying. And of course there's an exception to every rule because we have George Kennedy and the wife that he just cannot wait to get back home to and have sex with. And he is a powerful, strong, intelligent individual. But for the most part, damn. Oh, and then we have the bomber who is like sucked the life savings. It seems like out of his marriage. His wife's mother's ring. Yeah. Pawned, pawned, pawned the ring. His wife's mother's wedding ring. He's pawned the silver. He's pawned her watch. And she even in his last moment with her, he's like, she's like, oh, he's like, oh, I need a little bit of money to like get to the airport. And she's like, oh, shit. All I have left is what would go toward the rent. And he sad eyes her until she like reaches into her handbag and is like, oh, I can just give the landlord another sad story. And it's like, great. Suck the last little bit out of her every bit you can until your dying breath. Good job, Dio. Good job. Now go blow yourself up and a bunch of other people. Nightmare. Yeah, what? especially nightmare. Dude, you live in Chicago during one of the biggest blizzards. Just accidentally run your car off the road. Yeah, right? This isn't hard. Like, this, like you don't have to take out other people. <laughs> like so many other people. Yeah. A seven oh a Boeing seven oh seven of other people. It just it was it was bleak from the start. Yeah. Uh for the women of for the women of airport. And it aside from Ada Quinsett, who is a widow and a mm-hmm. woman own living her best life scamming her way around the country and then getting free first class trips for the rest of her life so she can go around the world from this airport from this airline she's the only happy woman on her own terms in the whole film yeah it's true it is true what about you what is this movie about for you the reason that i was like you go first jordan was because i know that if anyone can can do an aria about the (laughs) the plagues of heterosexual marriage, I knew it would be you. Thank no you. one can speak to that the way that you can. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like, the ent- I, to me, you know, I, I've had this, like, so I've watched The Barefoot Contessa, um, which I had never seen before. And spoiler alert uh, to anybody who hasn't seen the movie, uh, at the end of the movie, basically, you find out that, like, the, ma- the guy that she ends up marrying has a dick that doesn't work. Okay. That is that is the huge revelation, third act reveal of Barefoot Contessa is. And I was watching it, and as I'm watching it, he's about to reveal this. I start yelling at the TV, his dick doesn't work, his dick doesn't work. And um, my my boyfriend was sitting there, and he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, his dick don't work. I'm mm. telling you, his dick don't work. Okay. And so, anyway, the point of the story is that I decided at that moment that most movies where men are the main character, the subtext of that movie is whether or not his dick works. Sure, sure. Like, that's really, at its heart, the subtext of almost every single male character comes down to, does his dick work or not? Okay, yeah. Um, And I truly think that the subtext of, like, what this movie was really about was men's dicks and the women who plague them. (laughs) Like, yes, this was a movie that was entirely about men realizing that they could free themselves from the shackles of the women who make their dicks unhappy. Yes. And they could through 
the women who make their dicks happy, yeah. they could find renewal. Uh, whether who it are, is who are at least a decade younger than them. Oh, for sure. Like definitely all younger um, and less haranguing. Um, <laughs> yes. And they will they will find they will find love and renewal from women who make their dicks happy. Yes. And uh, whether that and, and and if you don't think that you can find a woman who makes your dick happy, then the only solution is clearly to blow yourself up. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Yes. So I like this. This was absolutely one of those movies. Where I was like, oh, okay, that's what this movie is really about. This whole thing is a metaphor for for how first marriages are terrible. Um, right. Starter yeah. marriage. And that's, you just yeah, your starter marriage is is never your lasting marriage, and that is that is the subtext of this film, and uh, it was trash. It was straight <laughs> trash, guys. It didn't do it for me. Airport yeah. did not. Airport did not do it for me. I gotta say, my favorite thing, and, and no one else can know this except for me and, jo- and Jordan, but Jason's just sitting there with his brow furrowed, nodding in agreement quietly the whole time. Because <laughs> most men are trash, but Jason is an Jason ally. Jason is not trash. Jason, Jason is not trash. Fan. Jason is an ally. Yes, producer Jason oh. is a winner. He is a good man. <laughs> and I that is imp- Amanda is right. It is important that we yeah. put that on the record. I just want to make this clear. Like Jason is just sitting there quietly nodding along, like, yes, sister. <laughs> yes, sister, indeed. Men are trash. Movies are about men's penises. And I yes, fully sister. agree with those words. Men are trash. <laughs> Well then, does that like I I that brings us to dream casting? But I honestly like I don't have a dream cast for this. I, I it, wouldn't if, if 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 they came to me and was like Amanda remake this movie, I'd be like why? Yeah, it, it's 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 such a product of its time. Yeah. Um, I would make the movie so different. It would be such a it would be a different movie. Like yeah. I wouldn't be recasting Airport. I would be making a disaster movie that would basically become Airplane. Yeah. Like, you'd be, doing, you would be doing Airplane, but straight. Like, that's yeah. just what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and Airplane is so good at building its own kind of suspense. And Julie Haggerty is so incredibly perfect as an actress and a comedic presence and Leslie Nielsen and Robert Hayes and fucking Lloyd Bridges. Like I can't improve upon it. Like the better version of airport is airplane. Yeah. Yeah. My dream casting is having Kareem Abdul. Is it Kareem Abdul Jabbar's in it? Yeah. Yeah. Kareem yeah. Abdul Jabbar is yeah. one of the pilots. That's, that's my, my dream casting right there. Like there replace Dean Martin with Kareem. <laughs> that's it. Make him make him skyhook the skyhook the dude in his airplane out the window, like I or in his bomb out the window. I I don't care. It's heartening to know that it did come out ten years later, but I'm looking at box office and Airplane in 1980 did make 158 million dollars, which I think even compensating for inflation, it would still mm-hmm. have made more than than Airport. Well, I also you know if you think about it, like. I as in did not see this movie until now and would not know would not have seen it other if not for this podcast. When yeah. I told my parents I was watching it, my mom's response was why? Yeah. <laughs> like just a deeply horrified why. Um, yeah. and but then when you look at Airplane, like that was something that I think they showed me when I was like 10 or 11 and that I've gone back to a few more times since. Most children will have seen like most people our age or teenagers would have seen this movie. Yeah, yeah. It lives on when airport just kind of, you know, much like how I've got, much like how old men are constantly striving for immortality, yes. but chasing after younger women. But confident men don't have to worry about that mm-hmm. because they know that they don't have to find their immortality in a younger woman. It is true. That is Peroni. Is not chasing his immortality with the Patro- young woman. Patroni. Patroni. I can't. I'm never gonna get his name right. I just keep being like. <laughs> I'm. I keep being like. I know it sounds like a brand of something. Right. So I'm like, is it Pirelli tires? Is it like Negroni? I no, do, it's Patroni. Because it's on topic, and you're talking about um, uh, men and whether or not their penises work. I do want to just point yes. out that Peroni's disease is a disease where a man's penis becomes very uh, curved, and I found that out from a billboard. Like, oh, like not not curved, why? but like bent. Oh, like what? a Gonzo, like Gonzo nose. Yeah, like a real, like, 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 uh, you know, almost like perpendicular, sort of at some. Now point. Now that you're like saying joint. that, I am hearing the TV ads uh, in my head that I have heard for like medications <laughs> to address this problem, and that is 
that is how I learned that that exists. Yeah, Anna and I, I did were... not know this until today. Anna and I were driving through Utah back uh, over the holidays, and there was just a billboard that was like, Peyronie's? Drive to Orem. And it was like a guy <laughs> with a face that was just like, eh? And we're like, oh my god, <laughs> what a then, statement! Didn't, yeah. didn't know that bent dicks were that big of a problem in Utah. My, That's fascinating. Apparently, well, Anna knew about it. Anna explained well, to me what Peyronie's was, um, which I guess says a lot about our relationship that uh, she understands pieces <laughs> better than I do. Well, a great comic really must understand the world around the pieces. <laughs> so that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think our Patroni. Yeah, he's the only man in this movie I'm convinced is not having any issues in that area. Well, no, his dick is working, but he's not chasing immortality because he happily has five kids. He's like, my legacy lives on in yeah. this healthy representation of my marriage. Yes, of five children with another one probably on the way once the so snowstorm is over. <laughs> Most likely, yes. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's my thing is that much like how a confident man does can just you know put a baby in a woman and not have to worry about chasing immortality with a younger one. <laughs> Likewise, airplane did not have to worry about it chasing immortality because of its quality. Because it's true, it's true. And now I just want to watch airplane. Now I want to honor Thanks. Joel Schumacher, who who died today at the age of eighty after a year long uh, cancer bout. Um, I want to honor Joel Schumacher by watching yes, his very good Batman movie, Batman and Robin, one of two. I've very never good seen it. Um, it is gay as hell, and that is why it wait. deserves to be honored in the superhero canon alongside even the most, you know, critically reviewed best of them. I it want is for to sure the gayest superhero movie ever made. Oh, I mean, he has, gayest superhero like, movie I ever made. I know that. I know that, like, Batman has nipples in it. Like, everything yeah. about it, I realize, is, is going to be, like, I mean, the gayer thing, the, and, that, and that's, that's, like, that's why it's truly queer cinema. Like, there are the bat nipples, but there is also poison uma thurman fucking serving as camp queen poison True. ivy and that is that you feel the queer gaze in this movie you see you have you have drew barrymore and debbie mazar playing sugar and spice dressed up to look like they are guest judging on rupaul's drag race like it <laughs> is it. it is it is an impeccable experience and when, to when hell I with was... anybody who would shout down the importance of that film? When I was a kid, that was the only superhero movie I wanted because it it was I, everything. It was so like crazy and colorful. It had every it's character. So bright, and it looks so cool. Yeah. I, I will say I do I think I do like Batman Forever more as a movie, but I uh -huh. really appreciate what uh Batman and Robin was going for, trying to like tie in the clear like a Adam West Batman inspiration on a queer young yes. man and sort of yep. like take it into the the late 90s very interesting Jason gets it and Jason knows comics so Jason is right yeah. I know Jason comics. is correct Jason is, Jason is the comics authority on, on this podcast <laughs> yep, yep I spent sure. I was up till 3 a.m last night putting together my new bookshelf and stocking it with all my comics so I guess I can yeah, uh, nice. vouch for the veracity of that so if you can't hear the pitch of our voices when we talk about comic book movies, you can definitely hear the pitch of Jason <laughs> and know that like his comic shelf arranging authority is weighing in on the quality of Batman and Robin. So that, that it's settled. It is yes. settled. Listen to so, Jordan yeah. everything. So Jordan, <laughs> tearing in for, let's, getting back to getting back to the topic, moving away for a moment from from the Joel Strumacher of it all. Yes. Um, R.I.P. How many towering infernos are you given? Are you given airport here? Gosh, I'm uh, one and a half. Same one and a half. Like production value is good, but it's not interesting enough to like. It, it's clearly like a nice looking movie, and it's clearly an impressive cast. But I, I didn't feel like besides besides uh, Helen Hayes, uh, all these names that I that I recognize weren't really given weren't really given anything to go with, and it was just pretty boring and it was only half a disaster movie so it's it's one and a half for me i can't even give it two yeah no one it's it's one and a half for me i i the whole time i was watching it like i was waiting for the movie to begin and once it began finally and i was like oh i don't i don't care this much i want it to be over the like, shock not... of disaster so many disaster divas we're giving yeah. it one and a half guys i'm sorry you know i think amanda's is... mom might even agree with us judging by her reaction to oh, amanda saying she's watching airport <laughs> well in fairness my mom does my parents don't understand like my parents watch a lot of movies and tv and they're like why do you like trash and i'm like because <laughs> well I hey like this trash. isn't even trash this is this, this is academy award recognized yeah. 
cinema, blockbuster cinema. Inexplicably, and it is not very good. So in sum, one and a half, one and a half tearing infernos from both Amanda and Jordan. Um, which I good because I had a brief moment of concern that you and I were going to differ on this, and I was like, God, I don't want to be the Russian judge on this one. Like, I just want us both to agree that it is not a good film. And that and that I am very excited for. Like, I'm very excited to to reveal next week's yeah. episode to watch because it's going to be it's a, a total pivot. We're we're leaning into why Amanda's mom wonders what she loves trash. Yes. So, and to, next week we will be watching from 2012 the film Bait. Uh, bait is the premise is a freak tsunami trapped shoppers at a coastal Australian supermarket inside the building, <laughs> along with a 12 foot long great white shark. I have never seen this. I'm excited to learn more. Yeah, we've uh, got we've got Sharni Vinson, yeah, Vinny Tonkin, Julian McMahon. Yeah, let's let's go, guys. Let's your your go. next your next hive out there, Sharni Vinson. Let's see if she can bring the same final girl energy that she dazzled us with in that movie to this one. If so, if she's, if she's able to really let her wings spread, I, I hope we can get a good thrilling performance from her. Um, but Julian McMahon, why not? Let's, hey, like I'm hoping that he's playing the shark. That is a great point. That is actually the best possible use of Julian like, McMahon. He played like a shark. Was- he played a human shark for like what? Nine years on Nip Tuck. Yeah, I just I have an assumption. I I just think that what's going to end up happening is it's going to turn out that like he actually controls the shark with his mind, and he's been playing <laughs> both sides the whole time. I can't wait. And guys, great news! This is available on Tubi, our favorite streaming yes, service. Tubi, Ooh. all right, Tubi. Tubi, please, I'm begging you, sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Tubi continued. Tubi continued. Tubi sponsored. Only podcast. The only podcast that shills for you at least once every four episodes. Yeah, I think that's got to be true. We could even, I, I mean, look, I, I brought up a, a segment we could do previously uh, in, in Tubi or not Tubi. Uh, right. There's another segment segment we could also do, which is called Tubi Continued. And that mm-hmm. is where after we're done talking about a movie, we, we could sort of suggest like, here's the next movie you should watch on Tubi after that. I'm just saying, Tubi, we, we got options. Yeah, we, we are willing to work with you. I, we can do we can do a Patreon only like Tubi section where all the Tubi movies we're like hey separately here's just a random Tubi film that you should be watching and we're gonna do a twenty minute conversation on it like we can give you content Tubi that no one else will give you because we got nothing but time yeah <laughs> that's it so yeah so, I, I look forward to I look forward to being more exhilarated by bait than I was by airport. I am so looking forward to to a twelve foot great white shark. Yes. Um, in in like in in the home goods aisle. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So Jordan, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at j o r c r u. And what else do you have, Jordan? Oh my gosh, you're right. I have a Patreon. Patreon. I have Patreon. a Patreon account uh, where I. Um, as I'm living that furloughed life right now, uh, that is where my writings are living and we're covering uh, a little bit of everything because I'm interested in a little bit of everything. I'm writing a lot about action movies. Um, I'm working on a little something about horror, a horror movie right now. Uh, you can you can go there now and find my uh, recent musings on why the movie Thoroughbreds is actually a wonderful asexual romance. And yeah. I, I think it's good and you should go and you should subscribe and give me money to keep writing more. And to uh, when I'm when I'm able to, I would love to be able to give uh, guest contributors a shot and pay freelance writers like a hundred bucks to put something up there. So support journalists, support writers, help me do that by supporting me. Hell yeah. Yeah, I got to like as objectively speaking, not just because you are one of my dear friends, but objectively yeah. speaking, like. I, I, as soon as I saw that you had a page, uh, Patreon going, I was like, I'm in because your writing has been consistently, no, because your writing has been consistently always one of my favorite things is your analysis. Um, Thank you. I learn new things about genres that I'm not particularly like keyed in on. I don't know yes. a lot about horror. I don't know a lot about action. Um, and it is really fun to read and learn about in a way that is beyond just like film reviews. It's I, analysis in an interesting, in Jordan's weird little brain. I seek for it to be inviting for folks who who really don't think of themselves as giving a shit about those kinds of movies and being like, you know what? But I like that anyway. So yeah. Hent is wide. Come join everybody. Yeah. 
So, Jason, uh, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me anywhere on Instagram, Twitter, whatever, <laughs> at Jason Halftones. Um, I've got a comic I've been doing. Uh, I took some time off because we were moving, and I was also working on um, writing a pilot that I'm just about finishing up with. Uh, so now I'll finally have some time to, to do that comic again. Yeah, we'll see right. more about the space dinosaurs. Space dinosaurs. Um, and you can find me. I'm Amanda R. Tubbs on Twitter. It is Tubbs with two Bs. Two Bs. Um, Although I am taking recommendations for other uh, usernames because, you know, my my username is based off of Miami Vice. And, uh, right. you know, as much as I do love Ricardo Tubbs for being one cool ass motherfucker, um, <laughs> I'm wondering if maybe it's time for me to lose a screen name based off of a police procedural. Right. So, okay, because yeah. I'm like I'm like a bleeding heart liberal and I, I'm tweeting, you know, a cab from um, an account that then is like based has a name that involves a cop so a cab does include ricardo tubbs unfortunately unfortunately that's the problem i mean that is the that is the real issue here so i don't know what to do about that so uh for now you can find me at amanda r tubbs unless you are a baseball player's mother who's blocked me (laughs) (laughs) uh you can find the podcast we're disaster girls pod at gmail.com we're disaster underscore pod on twitter um I periodically am tweeting on that account, but yes. it's hit and miss. So uh, engage with me so I can do more than just like search Twitter for people who are tweeting about Dante's Peak. <laughs> yes, please. Um, and then, of course, rate and review us, guys. We would love it. Yes, please. take your, it's, it's one of the most helpful things you can do for us. It'll help other people find the podcast. Um, rate and review us on your podcast medium of choice. And tweet about us. Share us with your friends. Send it to your loved ones. Yes, you and know. tell people, you know, tell people that you are socially distanced standing near in a line at soap at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. Yeah, if you're in line for Trader, if you're in line for 45 minutes to two hours waiting for <laughs> Trader Joe's, and you're like, man, this is such an entertaining podcast, I'm chuckling behind my mask, turn to the person next to you and tell them to listen. It's very, that, that's exactly the move. That's the move. Yeah, let's make this a movement, guys. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, so we'll be back next week for bait. Anything else I'm forgetting? No, I think oh, that's no. it. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back, Thank- baby. Thanks for joining us, guys. All right. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>